What up, what up, fight fans? Welcome back to the Tale of the Tape Boxing Podcast here on theboxingrant.com. I'm your host, Kenny Keith, and back with me from the beautiful island of Jamaica on a two-week vacation, my co-host and uh, partner in crime, Vince Cummings. So how was vacation, Vin? Uh, if it says Jamaica anywhere near downtown Alexandria in a <laughs> rehab building project, because that's where I really was. Oh, you were in rehab? Yeah. <laughs> Well, there you have it, folks. I was going to try to sugarcoat it and say Vince was on vacation, but he was in rehab. <laughs> Where were you rehabbing from? Come on, man. <laughs> Plenty of things. Yeah. A long, a laundry list. <laughs> life. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Just rehabbing from life. Well, we're back, and um, that's been the biggest break we have taken. Um, I put out episode 83 a few days ago. Doug Fisher, the editor of RingTV.com, was kind enough to stop by and fill the air um, and talk about some big issues in and around the world of professional prize fighting. So big up to Doug. Check out episode 83. You can find the Tale of the Tape Boxing podcast on iTunes. Please subscribe to the show and leave us a review and a rating. It's much appreciated. You can find new episodes of the Tale of the Tape Boxing podcast on Stitcher, Spreaker, TuneIn Radio, and, of course, YouTube. Be sure to drop us an email. Rant with us. Send us your emails to podcast at theboxingrant.com. Well, it's a pretty busy episode. Got a big fight to preview, Mm -hmm. a bunch of fights from around the globe. Um, On today's episode of The Tale of the Tape, one of the best in the game, pound-for-pound talent, an amateur boxing legend. High-tech Vasily Lomachenko is back to dazzle us. Siberian Rocky does the deal. Uh, From Liverpool, top prospect Callum Smith squares off against Rocky Fielding in a battle of rising young Brits. WBC number one heavyweight contender Alexander Povetkin risks such status against former world championship contender Marius Wach. And some news and notes, Guillermo Rigondeaux's back in the headlines, plus Andre Ward, a ditty on Carl Frampton and Scott Quigg, and, of course, a little bit of news regarding one-time Keith Thurman. But before we get to all of that, plus a preview of a big fight from Las Vegas, Nevada, I'd like to take a second and, I don't know, let's just... Ask Vin, how was your trip to New York City? How was Golovkin-Lemieux? Uh, it didn't disappoint, man. I mean, one-sided ass-whooping aside of, in the main event, it was a good time. The crowd, man, unbelievable. It was almost as good as the uh, the Cotto-Martinez crowd. Not quite, but it was real close. Yeah, I wanted to ask you about that, how uh, how that compared to uh, to that large Puerto Rican contingency at the, uh, at the Cotto-Martinez fight that we were at. Yeah, I mean, there was an eclectic uh, group of people there. I mean, just you, you had your Canadians. All, we had a group of French Canadians behind us. They were, uh, they were pretty rowdy. Wiling out? Yeah. 
wiling out. So, all right, from the TV perspective, from where I was sitting um, in the cozy confines of my living room, um, the fight had a very, I don't know, man, the crowd didn't come through. I'll put it to you like that. Really? Yeah, it didn't come through. Um, I mean, yeah, it was, you know, there was cheering. I was pleasantly surprised at the view of how, how packed the arena was how early in the night it was. Oh yeah. Typically you don't, you know, people are lollygagging and dicking around and they don't make it into the, into the bowl until like, uh, you know, at least the co-feature, but man, as soon as Toriano Johnson and Amon O'Kane took to the canvas, it was a pretty packed house, man. It was, it was packed for all four of those fights. And especially once, uh, once Chocolatito came in the ring, you saw everybody come sit down to watch that. How was it watching a flyweight in the ring? Could you see him? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's barely over the ropes, but we had great seats, good view. And uh, I, coming out of that night, he was the most impressive fighter. Yeah? Yeah. Did you hear the uh, uh, the jab of Golovkin from, from a mile away? Yeah, that thing was thunderous, wasn't it? Yeah, man, it was it was impressive. Um, I apologize to all the... Uh, all of the listeners of the tale of the tape out there for talking about some stuff that's almost three weeks old now. Um, but it's been that long since we've been uh, gracing the airwaves, the podcast uh, universe with a new episode of the tale of the tape boxing podcast. So, well, that's good, man. I'm glad you had a good time. Um, I wish I could have went. It would have been nice to have been there. Did uh, hit Jimmy's corner. What's that? Did hit Jimmy's corner for, for a few beers. Yeah. Was it, packed? Played, uh, it was a little early still. It was like 5 o'clock when we went there. But, man, talk about uh, a, a dive bar of a dive bar. I mean, awesome place to be in, pictures, and, and you, you can feel the history, the boxing history when you're in there. It's really cool. Cool, man. Well, I'll have to check it out. So what did you think about Terrence Crawford's performance last week? Unbelievable. I mean, the kid get, is he getting better? Is it possible <laughs> to get better when you're that damn good? Yeah. Uh, man, it was something else. Yeah, you know what, man? I'll tell you what. That fight got better and better and better as every single round went by. Mm-hmm. You know, I, look, all the w- predetermined odds making and Terrence Crawford was supposed to, he was supposed to do that, right? Right. Okay, take all that and just throw it out the window. That's fine. Um, what I took away from that is exactly what you said, man. I, Terrence Crawford, to me, put on a display of we know he can box. We know he can punch. We know he's got great physical tools and attributes. I'm still to this day, and I've been seeing it since we've been talking about Terrence Crawford, Vince. The thing that impresses me the most about this kid is the dog inside him, man. Oh, and it was more apparent in that fight (laughs) than it's ever been. His walk to the ring, you could just tell he was like, this guy is serious. He is ready to kick somebody's ass. Dude, every time that Jean caught him, and you know, in the later rounds, those those few big right hands that he caught Crawford with. Right. Every single time one landed flush, I went, oh, shit, here we go. Yeah. Because you could just see it on Crawford's face. Oh, dude, uh, you just woke up a sleeping dragon. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. Crawford does not hesitate. He gets hit, and it is his reaction is, okay, you ready? I'm, re- I'm ready. Let's go. Yeah. I'll smile and throw hands. I can't remember a fighter in recent memory anyways that reacts the way that Terrence Crawford does to getting hit, man. No, no, he, that's what makes him great, dude. He loves the fight. I know. He loves the fight. Um, yeah, he looked great, man. Uh, any thoughts on a potential fight with Manny Pacquiao? I think it's a bad move for the Pacquiao camp. I really, really do. Yeah. I don't really know how I feel about it. I'm kinda, I kind of have mixed emotions simply based on, you know, the fact that Manny Pacquiao didn't show me in the Mayweather fight that he 
is a shop-worn fighter. He didn't show me that he doesn't have anything left in the tank. He didn't show me any of that. He just... He fought Floyd Mayweather. Exactly. <laughs> and anybody that's ever fought Floyd Mayweather has came out of the fight looking the same way yeah. and making boxing fans feel the same exact way. Do you, you, hey, I can't remember the last fighter who came out of a Mayweather fight and you went, wow, he looked really good. <laughs> um, well, yeah, nobody. Maidana, maybe the first time people stretched for that, though. They, they stretched. Yeah, in the same way that they stretched to, you know, one big punch lands and it's like, oh, he won the round. Um, <laughs> yeah, I don't know, man. I, I really have mixed emotions about this. I think what we do know is, is that Pacquiao's just not – his heart's not in it anymore, no, man. No, uh-uh. it's, it's one more paycheck. It really is. That's what I feel like anyways. And you never want to say that about, especially a fighter like Pacquiao, who's given us nothing but, uh, I mean, everything he has his entire career. He's laid his heart on the line. I just feel like in a fight like this, especially if you're going to call it your last fight, you know, if you want to be, the, you want to pass the torch or, to Crawford, or do you want to go out and kind of like Mayweather supposedly did, have a have a soft touch? And, a, and an easy win. I, Pacquiao's not that kind of guy, though. I, I feel like throughout his career, you could look back and say that Pacquiao kind of, he, he's a man who goes after fighters, and I don't think he's scared of Terrence Crawford or fighting Terrence Crawford one bit. I think it'll be Freddie Roach, if anybody that says, that's not for us, son. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Um, I, I don't really, I don't want to see Pacquiao fight the winner of Bradley Rios. I don't, no. I don't want to see... I don't want to see him fight Marquez for a fifth time. No. I'm just kind of tired, man. You know, I want to see him fight Crawford. I'd like to see him fight Lucas Matisse. I just want to see him in there with somebody. I just want to see a fight. I want to see him go out looking, you know, like a at least at least a, a shadow of, of his former self. I, I don't need to see, you know, Manny Pacquiao 2009. No. But I just want to see him go out there. And I, I think he still has it in him. I think he can beat. I think he can, he can still beat. 95% of the welterweights and junior welterweights in the world. Without a doubt. There's a couple that can beat them. But the last thing that we need, that Pacquiao needs, actually the last thing Pacquiao needs is just a, a paycheck to pay for his his uh, upcoming campaign to run for, right. you know, for Senate or whatever. So I don't think he really cares one way or the other. But the last thing I want to see is him get in the ring with a technician and just it'd be a bad fight. Yeah, yeah. You know? And I, I think that would be, I just Crawford just seems to have, just be all wrong for him on, on so many different levels. Yeah. Ah, man, I don't know. It'd it's, be a hell of a fight, though. Yeah, it would be. I think I think it would be a, pretty much a toss-up. Yeah. You know, because we've seen the fact that Crawford can be hit, and he's never been punched by somebody that can hit like Pacquiao. So yeah, there's some interesting things. And if it happens, it happens. If it does, I'll be excited. Hey, if Gamboa can get you get you stumbling, uh, Pacquiao can knock you down. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no doubt about that whatsoever. So we shall wait and see. So there's been some rumors recently, Vin, before we get to the previews on episode 84 of the Tale of the Tape Boxing Podcast. I think it was BoxingScene.com that first reported uh, early uh, last week that Carl Frampton versus Scott Quigg was a done deal. And soon after that announcement was made, then the camps of both Frampton and Quigg came out and said, Barry McGuigan and Eddie Hearn both came out and said that, yes, We've made it further than we've ever made it in negotiations. Right. Um, and that all we need now is just to work out some few minor details, and then hopefully, hopefully, we can get this thing done. So um, I got an email this morning from a source that has elected to not be named, and this is breaking news 
as it is right now. So hopefully the four or five of you that are listening out there to the Tale of the Tape Boxing <laughs> podcast. No, I'm just kidding. Our audience is actually much bigger than that. It's up to like 11 or 12 now. Um, <laughs> but it, uh, breaking news from an unnamed source, a reliable source that we trust 100% indeed that Carl Frampton versus Scott Quigg is signed, sealed, and delivered February 27th from Manchester, England. An announcement will be made on uk television within the next 48 hours that's awesome man uh, you know it took a little while to get this fight done and all the you know bs aside from both sides you know flexing muscles and trying to get the extra dollar here and there uh i'm glad they got it done this fight is a fight that has to happen and especially for the uk boxing scene and if people in america don't get on board and and get behind this fight and watching this fight you're missing one hell of a fight man yeah, I really wish I could afford to make this trip. I know. It'd be such an awesome event to be at. That's the one you that's the one I would want to go to out of any UK fight that could be made and even looking into the future a little bit. This it's gonna be such an atmosphere at this fight. It's gonna be such a good competitive fight. Yeah. Man. Well, and look, here's the thing. I think what separates this from, say, Kel Brook, uh, Amir Khan, the possibility of that fight is is that, you know, I mean, Amir Khan's kind of a foil, he's kind of a dipshit. Um, he's lost a lot of respect in the boxing community for the mm-hmm. way that he has been behaving uh, over the last year or two and kind of how he's let his entire career sort of be non-existent and fall apart as he chases after things that he'll never get. Yep. He's kind of, it's like he's chasing the boogeyman, you know, or he's looking for Santa Claus or something like that. <laughs> right. You know, it's just not going to happen. The thing that makes this fight so much bigger, I think, is that Carl Frampton and Scott Quigg are so universally loved and admired and respected by their fan bases. Oh, yeah. You know, I mean, these two there's have a, there's a, huge followings. There's a sharp line drawn in the sand, and you're on one or the other, man. I mean, yeah. the Quig guys say no chance for Frampton, and the Frampton guys say no chance for Quig. Yeah, yeah that, that, uh, <laughs> that line drawn is actually a body of waters <laughs> <laughs> separating two islands. Right. Um, yeah, man, I think it's great. I think it's uh, uh, two, two fighters that have – just all the ingredients for a great fight. You know, I think Quig is going to try to impose his will, his power, his aggressiveness, yep. and I think he's going to look to catch Carl Frampton. Um, whereas Carl Frampton has maybe, you know, a slight edge in the boxing skill and ability department. Um, I'd say it's probably a toss-up in the in the way of power. Maybe Quig has a little bit more. But I don't think you can get much more of an evenly matched fight than this. No, no, and you, you, you're right. You're going to have Quig trying to pressure and, and throw a lot of punches and do volume work, and you're going to see Frampton try to be the masterful boxer and counter yeah. that attack. It, it should be a really good fight, man. So there you have it. Uh, it is official. It is official, a reliable source that would like to remain unnamed until the announcement is made. Within the next 48 hours, it is official. Carl Frampton, Scott Quig, February 27th. 2016, that's right, folks, Frampton versus Quig. All right, so that will do it for a little bit of news and notes catching up um, on the time that we have missed. And we bring you the Tale of the Tape Boxing Podcast, episode 84. My co-host, Vince Cummings, follow him on Twitter, at VinceCummings81. And you can follow me on Twitter, Kenny Keith, at Kenny Keith. Junior, Timothy Bradley, Brandon Bam Bam Rios, the Desert Storm defends his WBO welterweight championship 
this Saturday, November 7th, from the Thomas and Mack Center on the campus of the University of Nevada, Las Vegas. HBO World Championship Boxing in full effect. Bradley versus Rios. Vin, take it away. Watch out now, because <laughs> I'm going to tell you what. You talk about two of the biggest hearts and the biggest wills in the sport of boxing. Great line. Are, are, are they're, they're facing off in this fight. I, I, you can't. Can you picture one of these guys cracking? I don't care if they're facing each other. It's it. This is like two Mack trucks heading head on for each other. That who's going to give? What I, I don't know, man. It's so hard to predict and break down this fight. It's just like these guys are. It's crazy that that they're even. I mean, the the matchup is a crazy matchup just based on the fact that who is going to be the guy that takes control? Who's who's going to be the guy that uh, takes a step backwards in this fight? I don't, I don't see it, man. I just don't. It's going to be a friggin' war. You're spot on, Vin. These guys, I mean, when when they are in the ring, there is no quit whatsoever. No. Um, two opposing styles. We've had a hard time. We've previewed so many Timothy Bradley fights. We've covered Timothy Bradley so much on this show, you know, being that he is one of the biggest names in the sport. But it has become very difficult for two guys that spend a lot of time breaking down film to really pinpoint what it is that Timothy Bradley does in the ring. He does a lot of everything. Mm-hmm. Um, he is the ultimate chameleon. You know what I mean? Yeah. The canvas chameleon. <laughs> he starts off for a round or two, and he's doing his thing, and it seems like he's going to box a, you know, he flicks out that rapid-fire jab. You know, he moves well. He's nimble. He jumps in, throws some nice combination work, and then regroups and does it all over again. Right. And then he gets hit, and then he's like, Oh, shit. You know? <laughs> right. And he just completely throws that out the door and just gets involved in a fight. Because he doesn't fight patsies. No. I mean, the guy fights tough dudes. He fights punchers and brawlers. Yeah, I, have, I can't remember the last easy fight he's had. It's been five years. Yeah. I mean, everybody he's fought, he he always, always has disadvantages. Yeah. You know? And Size this, off the break. Exactly. Every fight he's in, he's always a smaller guy. Mm-hmm. And that being said, he's he's there's been very few fights where, well, I don't think, I, honestly, man, you can kind of scan through this box wreck and go all the way down. I mean, you have to go back to, you know, five or six years ago to really find somebody that he may win in the power department against. I mean, you run through his last, you know, five or six fights, man, you, you know, you got guys, he's fought Pacquiao twice, Provodnikov, Juan Manuel Marquez. Uh, I mean, come on, man. Yeah. The best of the best. And the thing is, is that, you know, Bradley is not a power puncher. No. So he, he's usually on the short end of the stick there. Mm-hmm. He never wins in the power department. The only thing that he does win in is the heart department. His victories have come because he's wanted it more. And I, just, I don't think you can really, we can try to, be profound and overanalyze and dig into this and sort through the minutia. I don't think there's any of that involved with Timothy Bradley. I mean, the fact remains is the fight said he has won. He's wanted it more, and that's all. That's all there is to it. You can't quantify it. No, no, you're right. He's he's defined by his will, not his skill as a fighter. It's a hundred percent true. Yeah, absolutely. And so now he finds himself in the ring against a guy who. The last two years of his career, Brandon Rios, uh, a friend of the show, he's been a guest a few times here on the tail of the tape. You know, Brandon Rios has been through some tumultuous times, riding off of the highs 
of, you know, being, uh, you know, lightweight champion um, and then his struggles to make weight and then moving up to 140 pounds and the epic uh, wars, the first two fights in particular against Mike Alvarado to sort of kind of getting ahead of himself and and everything coming back to earth and the beatdown that he received from Manny Pacquiao to the frustrating, ugly, ugly fight against Diego Chavez um, to where he rededicates himself in the final chapter of the trilogy against Mike Alvarado, a fight that we understand. I think we both would agree that Alvarado um, didn't do himself any favor in the preparation department. No. Is concerned. So here we have a guy in Brandon Rios who is now only for, you know, I want to say maybe this is maybe his second or third fight where he is fully physically comfortable inside of his own body when it comes to weight. Yeah, yeah, you're right. I mean, what's this, his third welterweight fight? And to me, he looked like you're saying about the Alvarado, last Alvarado fight. Obviously, we know the circumstances with Alvarado, but Rios looks so sharp in that fight. He looks so strong. He looks stronger than I've ever seen him look in a fight. And, you know, I questioned him moving up to 147, whether he, you know, whether his power is enough to keep guys off. Uh, he, I think he proved in that fight that that's kind of where he belongs at this point in his career. Yeah, no doubt about it, man. I mean, physically, I don't think we've ever seen him better, regardless of Mike Alvarado. Let's just, uh, let's just go ahead and concede this. Right. Um, regardless of how Alvarado looked, what we did come away with after that January 24th bout in the final chapter of the trilogy is that Brandon Rios was in the best shape of his life. Yep. Looked more focused, more determined, and physically he looked sharper, quicker, and stronger, more confident in his abilities than we've ever seen him. Yeah, and and coming off of the Pacquiao loss and, and the ugly, ugly fight that was the Chavez fight, you had to think that he probably sat down and like, okay, we got to, it's time to regroup back to the drawing board here for a minute let's something's not working what we're doing right now let's let's get serious let's get rededicated and it shined through in that last fight and I think you're going to see it in this fight too because this is a very very big fight for him I mean this is a career definer that opens up a ton ton of opportunities for him moving down the road I and I'd love to see him get those opportunities and I think he knows that's what's ahead of him and I I would expect him to be 100% focused in this fight yeah well, he's going to have to be. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's the best opponent he's faced since Pacquiao, and he's admitted so much that he wasn't exactly focused in that fight. No. Um, and plus, it's kind of hard to focus when you're getting hit 10 times for every one punch that you throw. Yeah. So that can actually complicate things a little bit. Um, some factors coming into this fight is that with Timothy Bradley, his last fight against Jesse Vargas was a tough fight in the sense that once again, Timothy Bradley has to deal with circumstances that are out of his control. The first Pacquiao fight, a fight that I think anybody with a pulse, except for the three people sitting ringside, thought that Manny Pacquiao won pretty easily. Yeah. So he wins that. Um, you know, fact remains is a win's a win. He beat Manny Pacquiao. He he defeated him, whether we think he was deserving of it or not. And he got dumped on by everybody, again, with a pulse that was watching that fight. And he was ridiculed and shamed for winning that fight. He even said that it was really difficult circumstances to deal with considering what he had just accomplished. Yeah. And so then he comes back and, um, you know, he gets beaten pretty soundly by Pacquiao again. His fight against Diego Chavez, personally, it was a fight that I scored a draw, but because, you know, 
um, Dan Rayfield threw a shit fit and said that he had he had uh, uh, Bradley winning that fight, you know, eleven to one or right. something like that. That somehow, you know, personally, I thought that Bradley was damaged. He got hurt in that fight, and he wasn't the same ever since those head clashes. That just completely made him uh, just dude. The damage was disgusting. So he's had to deal with. He's been in some and uh, the Provodnikov fight. Mm-hmm. What that can take out of a man. So now what I've noticed, and I noticed it in that final round against Jesse Vargas where he gets clocked and then he's saved prematurely by the referee, is that we have now seen probably in the last three or four fights by Timothy Bradley, we've seen him get wobbled and we've seen him get hurt. We've seen his legs turn to noodles. At some point, I think that Timothy Bradley is going to get hurt and fall off of that precipice and he's not going to be able to stay up he's not going to be able to get up right. i'm not saying he's going to get flatline knocked out but the accumulation of damage that this guy has taken in his career vince it has added up oh there hadn't been an easy fight i can remember and this may be this is going to be tougher than the vargas fight on him just as tough as the chavez fight is because chavez is a a grinder a, a beat you up kind of guy uh, rios is 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 not going to make it easy for him by any means. Rios is going to probably throw more punches like he normally does against all of his opponents. He's going to be in your face. And look, are we going to see the Tim Bradley that we always see that adapts and, and fights the fight that that is brought to him in the ring? Or is, is Teddy Atlas going to be the difference this time around? Can Teddy get in his head somehow to turn him into a guy that, that boxes? Because when he does box, he's very, I mean, he's tough to hit. When he gets low and he's moving and dodging punches, he's a very tough guy to hit. But I, I just think at this point in his career, you got to say he, he is what he is. I, I really don't see Atlas being able to make that major of a change at this point in his career. What, 32, 33 years old, whatever he is? What can Teddy Atlas do for him? Like, what can he offer that he wasn't getting from Joel Diaz? I, I, I'm going to say on a defensive aspect of things, I think he's going to try to make sure Timothy protects himself more as a fighter than he has been doing. But I I just don't think that's in his nature. I mean, whether you try to tell a guy that or not, it's just not in his nature. He gets punched, and this is what happens. He goes after it. Yeah. Timothy Bradley's always struck me. You hear him in interviews. There's sort of this, like, defiant little man syndrome to him where he, like, you can't tell him anything because he's going to prove you wrong. Oh, exactly. You know what I mean? So well, he's born two pounds. He's had he's been <laughs> it's adversity throughout his life, and he'll tell you about it. Every, you know, it's it's crazy, man. So what happens in the ring when he's shown some adversity and he gets hit? He asks him, "No, no, no, you're not going to do that to me." Exactly. So he mixes it up. Just human nature for him, man. Here, okay. So the interesting proposition here is that he's going in the ring against a younger, less a younger fighter with less mileage on him, Mm -hmm. okay? And Brandon Rios, some can say, most will agree, is one of the best in-fighters in professional boxing. Oh, the short punching, the short uppercuts on the inside. The way he's able to defend himself Mm -hmm. while operating. They're, I don't know, man. It's, It's very, very difficult. I'm sure you take the time run through the top 10 of every single division there is, and you'll find some guys that are, um, you know, efficient inside. But I tell you what, Brandon Rios is as effective, accurate, powerful, um, a grinder, 
and inside operator as there is in the sport. The, the thing is, and Doug Fisher pointed this out when I talked to him on episode 83, is that Rios isn't, he doesn't cut off the ring like, like a Triple G does. No. That he likes to stalk his opponent, which if, Bradley, if, if Bradley's able to fight the way that he did against Vargas early on, where he kept Vargas guessing, he kept Vargas basically following him around the ring. Right. Um, Rios could have trouble, and Bradley could have success. I don't think that Timothy Bradley can fight with Brandon Rios on the inside. I just don't think he can. No, no way. Uh, Rios's shots are too short. Uh, Bradley gets a little, you know, gets to be swinging a little wild at times. Uh, I, yeah, I think you're exactly right. I think you you nailed it with that one, man. I mean, you, there's not a better fighter in fighter in boxing right now than than Rios. Or if there is, there's a couple guys that are equal to him, but he's just so short and so tight, stays in the guard and launches from the guard on the inside. It's 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 a tough proposition to be wanting to toss with him on the inside. And look, it, it's like we've said about Bradley a minute ago. He he very well could try to do it. <laughs> if you if if Rios is beating him on the inside, I guarantee you Timothy Bradley goes, No, sir, uh you're not gonna beat me on the inside anymore. I'm gonna make sure I outwork you. <laughs> Um, yeah, man, gosh, this is such a, uh, I just think that this fight is going to turn out to be one of the gems of the year. I do. T- I'm a hundred percent with you on that. I don't think there's any way that this is a can't miss fight, man. <laughs> uh, your prediction for the fight, Vince. I think Timothy Bradley does just, just enough to pull out a split decision in a very close fight in a fight that we will see Timothy Bradley go down in but we will see him fight back in Timothy Bradley fashion. Just the guy's got too much heart, man. And Rios is hard aside, which is just as big. I, something tells me that Bradley will dig deep and get just barely pull this fight out. So uh, split decision, split decision, majority decision, split decision, victory for the desert storm, Timothy Bradley for events. I'm going to go the exact opposite of, uh, First round, no, I'm just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) No, uh, I'm going to take Brandon Rios. I think this is the fight that Timothy Bradley shows his mileage. I could definitely see Rios grinding on him and grinding him down late in this fight. Yeah, I'm going to go with an 11th round stoppage, and Brandon Rios raises the WBO welterweight championship. And this is sort of the – it's not the final act for Timothy Bradley, but this is the fight. I This – they could not have chosen. And I know in the year that top rank has had, they have not had many options. Right. I get it. Um, but I think a lot of the reluctancy that came from the Bradley camp in signing this fight, because remember they had negotiated this fight and it fell apart the first time. Right. And apparently it was over money. So Timothy Bradley, a fighter that's been making, you know, in and around $2 million a fight mm-hmm. turns down what he's normally been making. Brandon Rios was offered Basically, he was asked to take a you know um, a bit of a pay cut. I, that usually tells me, kind of like with a fight that we'll talk about here in a little bit, and we'll preview um, in a few episodes from now. In Bryant Jennings not taking the Luis Ortiz fight, right? Because well, you know, why didn't you take it? I mean, you needed more money to lose. I just think that Bradley knows what this fight is that he. I think Bradley wanted to fight against somebody that he's going to have an easier time with. He has been through the ringer with his opponents, and they're throwing him in the ring with a guy 
that is going. There's one guarantee in this fight. I said it on the last episode. One guarantee about this fight that you know is going to happen. Brandon Rios is not going to get hurt by Timothy Bradley. No, no chance. Absolutely not. I mean, not even a slight daze of nothing. So what's the risk here? What is the risk for for Brandon Rios? Is it a you we've seen this guy take an accumulation beating mm-hmm. from Manny Pacquiao and through that entire fight he never stopped laughing. No. I think dude it all correlates you know the kind of turn in Bradley's career and you know with his last couple fights in the Vargas fight his his wife is in control now and I think there's a reason and I think she knows and sees it the wars are are taking a toll on her husband and she wants control because she does not want her man getting hurt well and then that that is exactly where to circle back completely this is where we will find out the value of Teddy Atlas mm-hmm. in the corner of Timothy Bradley because if Timothy Bradley can stay disciplined and fight a disciplined fight and not do what we know he's going to probably do, yep. then I 100% agree with your prediction. He's going to, ha- but that I feel like only happens if he is able to make some changes in the way that he goes about his business. Well, he's going to be getting yelled at in the corner. That's for damn sure if he doesn't fight the way Teddy wants him to fight. <laughs> he's going to he's going to come out of the corner and the referee's going to stop him to tell him that he's got too much Vaseline on his face. He's like, "No, nah, man, it's just Teddy's spit." <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, can you see it now? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> hey, Vaseline, man. <laughs> stop spitting on me. Uh, Bradley versus Rios. Um, yeah, man, I'm really really looking forward to it. A nice a nice birthday treat, indeed. You get another one, don't you, huh? Yeah, that's right, Brick. buddy. I just wish I could go to it. Um, but that's all right. Uh, there'll be more birthdays, hopefully. The co-feature, all right? One of boxing's best, a pound-for-pound talent. No doubt about that whatsoever. Uh, a legendary amateur fighter, a fighter that has gotten much air time here on the Tale of the Tape boxing podcast. They call him high-tech. Um, arguably, arguably boxing's best technician, Vasily Lomachenko. Um, Lomachenko, a guy, Vin, one of the very best in the game. Oh, there's, there's absolutely no denying that. I mean, there's, I can't think of one thing the guy doesn't do at a world-class level in the ring, offensively, defensively, footwork. It's, it's, it's ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous. The one thing I will say about Lomachenko is, and I know it's probably there's others other things going on behind the scenes that me or you are not privy to, but the last three fights, the last two fights in this fight, it kind of seemed like when they started them off, they were it was you know a beeline to fighting the best in the world, and now it's kind of tailed off as to these last three fights. I mean the Piria Pino fight, and I can't even remember the other guy, but it, it, I'm I'm kind of. Like the direction of his career is, to me is kind of like waning right now. Like what, what are they doing with him? Are they kind of just? It's just showcase fight after showcase fight. It's kind of getting a little old. Yeah, I, you know, honestly, man, I think, <laughs> I think it's pretty. I think it's pretty simple. I think top ranks having a shitty year. Yeah, they are. <laughs> they are, man. You know, um, so you take that uh, shitty year, um, lack of opponents, uh, and. I think what you have here is, and then you take on on top of it is that, 
you know, how many people want to take a fight that they know they're going to lose. Right. Now, I think the Mayweather-Pacquiao negotiations probably sucked the life out of Aram. He, he had nothing left after that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's no doubt about that, man. So the WBO champion, it's an interesting, I don't know, I, out of all the sanctioning bodies at 126 pounds, um, there's some pretty, uh, some pretty, uh, I, I guess, big concerns as far as names, available opponents that are on this list. I mean, Perry Opinio, the guy we saw him beat, is is still ranked number four by the WBO. I mean, you got guys, Matthias, Rueda, um, Jesse Magdaleno is an interesting name on that list, mm-hmm. right? But you got guys like Satoshi Hosono, uh, Eric Hunter, Jason Belez is an interesting name on that list. Outside of... Hmm. Outside of Jason Velez, Oscar Valdez, and Oscar Valdez and Jesse Magdaleno, it's a very, very dry list. Now, the good thing is, is that he can fight Valdez and uh, and Magdaleno. Um, PBC holds all the other cards, don't they? Yeah. In in that division. And and here's the thing, I, honestly and truthfully, I think that. While I don't think Valdez can beat Lomachenko, I think Valdez has the physical fitness, yeah. the athletic ability, the hand speed, the pedigree. Um, he just is missing about 250 amateur fights. I was going to say, I, I would say he needs another couple years before he's ready for that fight. To, ready to possibly win the exactly. fight. Exactly, yes, yes. I mean, do you feel in any sense, just based off of those intangibles that I just named, that it would be an entertaining fight. Oh, hell yeah. And not an easy fight at all for Lomachenko. I, I just, you know what? Look, I think what we've seen from Golden Boy and what we've seen from Top Rank, we've seen it more from Golden Boy recently, is a willingness to just say, you know what? Fuck it. We don't have, we don't have many choices here, guys. Right. So while we'd like to slow roll your undefeated record for a little while, um, we're just going to have to throw you in there. And if you lose, you lose. Here's the thing, though. Oscar Valdez... He's with a company that is been a little bit more stubborn since Al Heyman's takeover in top rank. Uh, Bob Arum is not showing as much flexibility. No. He's still showing the flexibility to make amends with Oscar. Right. Right? But he is a guy, he has the two top fighters in the WBO, which shouldn't surprise anybody. I mean, honestly, it shouldn't surprise anybody. The WBO is very, very very tight with Frank Warren in the UK and Bob Arum in the States. Yep. And, you know, so to have two top ranked fighters at the very top of the list doesn't surprise me at all. The fact is they just need to make the fight. They do. It's not going to hurt Valdez's career. No, a loss to Lomachenko for a young up and coming guy. No, no, that does not hurt. His and career. maybe he shows well and maybe they fight three times. Yeah. Why not? So what if it's incestual? If you don't got any other options, shit. I mean, everything's incestual in this sport at this point in time. I know. It's ridiculous. Especially now that everybody's an A-side. Right. You know? Mm -hmm. There used to be a time when there was only four or five guys that could, you know, that could become power brokers. And now Al Heyman has made it to where that, um, you know, if you, anybody can headline a a TV card. Everybody's an A-side. And so if you make everybody feel like that they're an A-side, well, guess what? Everybody's going to think, you know what? No, I'm the best, so I don't need to face all these people. Right. And then you are in worse gridlock than you've ever been. Yep, that's the problem. <laughs> that's the problem? Yeah. yeah. Well, that's one of the problems. <laughs> I was going to say, man, you singled it out, huh? <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh, man. Yeah, it's an interesting division. You know, 126 always is. There's a ton of talent here, man. Um, just want to see. I want to see Lomachenko fight these guys, man. Lee Selby. Right? Not going to get it. Not going to get it. <laughs> yeah, we already saw Gary Russell Jr. I guess we don't necessarily need to see that again, but I'd still like to see it again. I think that's a good fight two, three years from now to, to revisit that fight. Gary Russell Jr. was a little uh, raw at that point in time. Yeah. yeah. As a professional, anyways. Yeah. Well, I don't know. Kosicha is uh, is ranked. Um, you know much about this guy, Vin? Uh, you know, I really don't know a whole lot about him. Uh, you know, he's just a younger guy. He's got four losses. Uh, I'm just, there's not much to say about him, man. I Can you find much video on Romula Kosicha? Can you? Romula? Romulo, <laughs> however the <laughs> hell you say it. Romulo. Um, no. And I, I just kind of wonder, I mean, he's, he's 24 years old. He's got 29 fights already, but I, I, I got nothing to say. Cause I, there's nothing out there on the kid. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know, man. I think it's, I think it's pretty clear how this fight's going to go. Um, I'm, I'm glad that we get to watch him again. Uh, Lomachenko, uh, hopefully Kosicic can do something, but this is going to look just like the, uh, Perry Opinio fight on the undercard of Mayweather versus Pacquiao. I think you're exactly right. All right. Um, also on the undercard of this fight is a middleweight prospect that, um, top ranks pretty high on and Ryoti Murata, you know, he's an interesting name. And I think, you know, you pointed it out in the, in the production meeting before the show that there is probably more of a curiosity about the fact that there's a Japanese middleweight, uh, than anything. And Bob Arum's playing his, you know, he's really tried to tap into the Asian boxing fan base and try to he's putting on pay-per-views there in Macau. And he, I think he, there's a concerted effort in his part to kind of capture that part of the boxing world. And this guy is, is a part of it, obviously. Yeah. Um, he's an interesting fighter. He's got good power. Mm-hmm. Um, he's got pretty, he's pretty lo- uh, long armed. Um, he can operate pretty effectively with his offense at range. He doesn't need to be necessarily on top of him. He's very basic though. Yeah. Everything is right there. Everything's between the shoulders. Everything's right down the middle. It's very amateur style. It's very, his style is very amateur. It's not there. He hasn't come into his own. He can free flow with combinations, but it kind of looks a bit rigid at times and not, not as free flowing as you would like to expect, but he does. The, the kid does have one thing and that is a big, big right hand. Yeah. You know, and that'll serve him well. There's no doubt about that. Um, so we'll just have to wait and see, uh, you know, I'll be kind of following this guy with curiosity because, yeah. you know, I think at the end of the day is that, um, uh, <laughs> fingers crossed for, for top rank and Bob Aram that they can kind of get it together, man. And they need guys like this to move along as fast as possible. Hopefully the dire circumstances and situation that the, uh, uh, old stubborn, honest Bob finds himself in doesn't force his hand and end up stunting or ruining the progression of a lot of his top prospects yeah yeah you're exactly right man he, he they need a big 2016 they need to just hey let it all hang out man give us the big fights and don't don't you can't be bullshitting anymore no nope, hang out with your wang out you know <laughs> hang out with your wang out um all right let's keep on trucking here uh ruslan provodnikov siberian rocky uh, can't find an opponent. Nobody wants to step in the ring with this guy. Yeah, so that's why we get, you know, Jesus Rodriguez, who don't let the 14-0-11 the knockout 
record fool you. The the guys fought 14 combined uh 14 opponents with a combined record of 35 and 107. Wow. That's pretty bad. That's really bad. Yeah. That's really bad and 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 you know, I just hope providing the cost at least making some money in this fight, man. I also feel like though and I know you probably feel this way too. If Rodriguez is a an above average boxer, he's gonna give Provodnikov some problems. If he can move and jab, yeah, it, it's like any fight that Provodnikov gets into, he's always just so susceptible to being beat by a boxer. It's it's tough for him, man. It really is. Nobody wants to brawl with him. No brawler will get in the ring with him because you can't hurt him. He never stops coming forward, but he always. T- I don't know. You don't know anything about Rodriguez either. I have no idea what Rodriguez is. I've never seen a video, <laughs> tried to watch one, can't find it anywhere. I, I, I just get scared for before every fight with him. If the guy can box a little bit, he's in a little bit of trouble. Oh, dear. Well, what can you do? Watch and see. Watch and see. Yeah, apparently uh, Amir Khan is... Full of shit. Did you know that? No, oh, he's been full of shit for about two years now. I can't believe anything that comes out of his mouth. But it seems like the truth is always around him because everybody around him seems to contradict what he's saying. So I tend to just believe everybody else. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. And, uh, you know, according to uh, people in the know is that Khan flat out dodged Provodnikov, that the fight was ready to go. I'm not saying that a contract was signed because I don't have that information. I don't know that. But that, he, you know, Provodnikov was supposed to make his, his – uh, uh, Showtime debut against Amir Khan, and that would have been at least a fun fight to watch. And guess what? Um, Khan wanted none. No, yeah, he's still chasing uh, Pacquiao, right? That that fight's gonna happen. It depends if if Khan wants the fight, it'll happen. He he's because says, Khan's in charge. Yeah, he's making demands now, right? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he, uh, what do you even say when you read a headline that says that Khan Khan has instituted a a deadline on Pacquiao to sign the fight? Um, you got knocked out by Bradis Prescott. <laughs> what the hell do you, who do you think you are? Oh. I don't care if it was five years ago or whatever it was. <laughs> that's not the first thing that would cross my mind. Oh, but that's awesome. That's so perfect. <laughs> I mean, come on, just, you are, you, you've created something in your own head that is not real. Con, you are a fucking laughing stock in the sport. <laughs> you have ruined your career and you have the skills to have been or could have been a great fighter, but you just want to run your mouth and chase fights that ain't happening. <laughs> oh, man. And he's still regurgitating the same bullshit. I just saw a few days ago that he's come out and said again that Kel Brook has to go fight some real names before he gets a shot at Khan. Dude, shut the fuck up already, man. <laughs> no, man. I, I, I just I can't even imagine being the guy to interview and stick a mic in his face, I'd have to just grab him by the fucking neck and be like, dude, please, enough. You are delusional. I mean, look at this guy's career, dude. Have you ever seen a fighter that literally gets one big fight, one big opportunity, and then his, and then his whole career goes to shit? He's 28 years old, okay? He's 28 years old. He fought twice in 2010, right? He fought twice, uh, I'm sorry, he fought three times in 2011, twice in 2012. He fought once in 2013. He fought twice last year, and he's going to fight once this year. So he has effectively fought three times in the last two years. And against, you know, just 
ho-hum performances against eh, eh, opponents. So since the Danny Gar- since he was knocked out by Danny Garcia, okay? Mm-hmm. Since he lost back-to-back fights, he lost to Lamont Peterson, and he lost to Danny Garcia, two consecutive losses in a row. This is the guy that's barking out demands to the universe right now. Of course. Okay? He loses to Peterson, gets knocked out by Danny Garcia. Then he fights Carlos Molina, Julio Diaz, Luis Colazzo, Devin Alexander, and Chris Algieri. Wow, what a world beater this guy oh, is. Oh, my, no fear. He fights them all, doesn't he? All comers for Khan. So since 2012, that's who, that is the roster of opponents, this delusional guy who's gallivanting around the world, barking demands at people that have established careers or barking commands at world champions. Right. Carlos Molina, Julio Diaz, Luis Colazzo, Devin Alexander, and Chris Algieri. A sh- uh, completely washed up Devin Alexander and an Algieri that really has no business fighting at welterweight. It's, it's, it's a complete freaking joke, man. I mean, I don't understand how anybody could defend this guy at this point in time. If you're a con backer and you try to defend this bullshit, you got to be kidding me, man. Uh, he ain't fighting nobody, man. His freaking resume is a joke. It is. A joke. Guy's lost three times, been knocked out twice. He's a he's a joke. Get him. Hey, he beats Ab Judah though, Ken. Uh, ooh. <laughs> did you see what Costa Zoo did to Zab Judah? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. Um, all right. Anyways, I don't know how we got on con. Oh yeah, we were talking about Provodico. <laughs> okay. This Wednesday, uh, November fourth from Kazan, Russia, Alexander Povetkin and Marius Wak will do the deal. The WBC silver heavyweight title is on the line. And the number one contender status of Povetkin placed at risk. I've gone into a lot of uh, detail and length and been beating the entire Deontay Wilder, Alexander Povetkin to death. Yeah. Um, But it's something that completely interests me. So we talked about previously how it seemed to us that the writing was on the wall when we heard Steven Espinoza, Deontay Wilder's camp, come out saying that. that they had a list that he was going to have a step-up fight. And at the end of that list was uh, Tony Thompson, right? Yeah. Remember that? So we said the writing was on the wall. Then all of a sudden, Tony Thompson has a fight against Malik Scott that gets announced. Yeah. Well, then while you and I are on vacation, um, Tony Thompson and Malik Scott, I guess a couple days out from the fight, then they say that Deontay Wilder is going to be announcing the fight ringside. And I'm like, oh my God. Of course. Of course. Uh, it's like freaking... Uh, well, they well, just did it with Trout and uh, yeah. It's come and on. It, it, it's 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 WWE. It is is what this is. So, but the great thing is, Karma's a bitch, and Tony Thompson lost. <laughs> 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 so it was all for nothing. But but here's the thing: maybe it wasn't because the PBC just would, wouldn't they? They would just put him back in the ring with Malik Scott. Oh they? yeah, Wilder Scott too. <laughs> and so Antonio Tarver gets popped for steroids. <laughs> They're running out of opponents for a big old Deontay. He's they gonna, are. He's going to have to fight old uh, Pavetkin. Uh, they'll prop up Brazil or somebody. <laughs> That's Gabe Campio to step up the heavyweight. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Um, you know, this will be a decent fight. I, mean, I think Marius walks kind of over the hill, but at least Alexander Pavetkin's fighting a top 10 fighter. Right. He's, take, he's taking a chance against a big, big heavyweight. Yeah. Yeah, so it'll be interesting. I mean, uh, you know, Povetkin isn't exactly a spring chicken anymore at 36 years old. No. 
Um, so we'll have to wait and see, man. I just hope that we that 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 Wilder stops the antics. Okay, you want to think that you are the uh, uh, undeniable heavyweight champion of the world? Well, so be it. Okay, you you can think that if you want to. I, at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter because we all know who the legitimate champion is. Right. Okay, that's all fine and good. You want to sit here and say that? Oh no, I'm not leaving the United States. I'm not doing this. I I, I you know uh, I I want to fight in January, and Povetkin's not going to have enough time you know, to fight me in January. You can throw up all these roadblocks that you want to. All roads lead to a Povetkin fight. He needs to step in the ring, and he needs to fight this guy. Doesn't it make sense just on the, I mean, maybe this is me with my my Rocky bias, but it is a Rocky Four scenario. Yeah. And this country, even casual fans, would get behind an American champion who... Say that lightly. <laughs> traveling to Russia to fight this big Russian beast. It, it just sells across oh, all yeah. landscapes, man. It, in Russia and America, it just makes sense. And Wilder could make a fortune to do it. I, I, he could probably make 15 or $20 million on this fight. Nah, he's all risk and no fucking reward, man. Uh, he'd rather make a million dollars fighting on NBC Sportsnet in front of 7,000 in Alabama. I, I said that backwards. He's all reward and no fucking risk. I know what you meant, Ben. <laughs> it's, this game confuses you, you know? <laughs> uh, just fight, you, you follow the sport enough, couple that with a two-week layoff, yeah, that's what happens. Everything comes out backwards. Uh, exactly. It's like you're shitting out of your mouth. <laughs> you know? <laughs> oh, man. Okay, so Pavetkin, walk. Pavetkin should win this fight. Yeah. Uh, Wok isn't exactly the most mobile character in the world. Mm-mm. Povetkin, even at 36 years old, still has very good hand speed. He does. Um, Just a tough, strong, big dude, man. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so Povetkin will probably, you think it'll go to the distance? Or you think he'll stop him? I think he'll stop him at some point later, later in the fight, later third of the fight. I hope he knocks him out in the first two rounds. That way, Wilder has no excuses. He'll be like, yeah, I'm ready to go in January. Yeah. Right? Yeah, I'm, I'm sure Wilder will come up with something at that yeah. point. Oh, no, I want to fight in December now, <laughs> right? And then they'll bring in, like, the 290th ranked heavyweight in the world that nobody's heard of. Oh, my God, it's just so... Ugh. <laughs> okay, Dmitry Kudryashov. How do you say, how do you say his name? I, I don't... Kudryashov? I don't, I don't know. All I know is he's a beast. Yeah, Dmitry Kudryashov. Dude, I've been trying to say this guy's name for about a year, and I still can't pronounce it. Dmitry Kudryashov. Don't beat yourself up, man. Moving on. <laughs> um, I yeah, I don't really not real concerned about who he's fighting against. Kudryashov's eighteen and zero with eighteen knockouts. Um, do you think that he is the next of what seems like an endless supply of gigantic Eastern European, Western Asian, um, Russian block fighters? Heavy handed granite chinned just monsters in the ring dude i would love to see a cruiserweight tournament with all these gigantic brick chinned you know just glavatsky uh alexander usik marco hook mm-hmm. dmitry kudryashov uh better and kovalev and yep. all the evs and <laughs> you know all the sashas and 
Roy Jones Jr. now. And Roy Jones Jr. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he and Roy a, Jones Jr. If he got hit by one time by any of those guys, I mean, come on, Roy, your head's coming off, buddy. How, how do you think Russians feel about having a brother as their uh, as a citizen? Are there any black Russian citizens? Uh, he's the only one I've that, never that seen, I know of. I've never seen a black Russian before. <laughs> uh, brother Jones is Russian. <laughs> oh, what... What a publicity stunt that is, it man. Is, man. You it know, is. I think it's so funny that there's people out there that are actually <laughs> trying to lend credibility to this. Uh, it's, it's a joke, man. Uh, it's hilarious. Good for a laugh. Uh, Dimitri Kudryashov. Yeah, he is one to keep your eyes on, man. Um, he hits hard. Oh, my God, man. His right hand is ridiculously strong. I, it's just like you said, man. I don't know what it is about that that area of the country or that area of the world right now, but it is just... I mean, beast after beast after beast. That's the amateur program, man. Yeah, it is. You know, they develop fighters better than we do here in the United States. You know, I was watching that uh, um, that Charlo Alcine fight last night. Oh, I'm sorry, you watched that? Yeah, yeah, I did. <laughs> um, and, and you know, and 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 you know what I notice when I watch like the Charlo brothers, or I watch like Demetrius Andre, and you know, I watch these young American boxers, right? is that you have these guys whose amateur backgrounds are like pretty much non-existent, man. I mean, they probably fought as often in the amateurs as they do now as pros. And you see so much just standing completely still and flat-footed and throwing one punch at a time. It's, yeah, it's kind of cookie-cutter styles with all of them. Like, they all kind of look the same. It's almost like they're in there to showcase, and they're not actually in there to fight. Everything's athletically based and not so much skill based. Don't take it. A lot of those guys are really, really good fighters. But yeah, you're right. There's just something there. It's like they leave you wanting more in it every time. Yeah, dude, it's just it is what it is, man. I mean, look, I don't think that there are very many people out there that would argue that the American amateur boxing system is kind of broken. You, oh. know, you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, we're not seeing all-around fighters developed. You know, I watch a guy like Tony Harrison last night, and, I mean, the, he, he's coming off of a fight where he gets knocked out, and he's carrying his, his hands below his chest, you know what I mean, just reckless, still going out there just trying to be flashy. Yep. Not trying to win the fight, but trying, you know, with a scowl on his face, like, just, he's, he's really more, more concerned with what the crowd thinks of him in the ring. Right. You know what I mean? Like, oh, man, look, look at him. He's fast and, and, and tough. So much style, no substance, man. I, yeah. And I don't see it improving. I don't see any young American fighters that I'm sitting here thinking to myself, like, wow, what a really well-rounded young fighter with a with a with just a huge, huge potential ahead of him. How, how can you get better if you're constantly fighting guys that are sparring partners? They're, they're, you have no business. There's no benefit fighting no, these guys because none. They're all friends, and none of them want to fight one another. Charlo fighting a 39 year old Alcine who has just his career has been over. It's he's washed up. What is the point? It's not even a name on your rec, uh, on your resume that means anything. Yeah. It's a complete waste. I just think the whole 154-pound division is a complete waste because what happens if now another Charlo brother gets a belt, right. Arizlandi Lara has a belt, so you got three guys out of the four belts th that won't fight each other. Right. They and just flat out said, nah, we're not going to fight each other because we're friends or we're related, and you're sitting here thinking about it. You're like, what is the point of all this 
if if nobody's going to fight anybody, it goes back to what I said at the beginning of the show. Everybody thinks they're an A-side, man. Yeah. Everybody, this is what happens when you put everybody in a primetime slot on television. It used to be reserved for the best, and you had to earn your way into that position. Now it's given to people in fights that are completely irrelevant, that don't mean anything, and we're seeing an era of fighters that are not developing. No, and it's sad. It's sad to watch because you realize that once – eventually they're not going to be able to fight the endless soft touches. And when they get in the ring against a tough opponent, they are not ready, man. They're just not. No, no, it's, you know, it's, it's, it is really a shame, man. And, and, and the thing that is, is really kind of, you know, it's, I guess it's kind of sad at the same time is you get a guy like Julian Williams, who we're both really high on. He seems to have that, that, that dog inside of him, uh, much like Terrence Crawford and, um, you know, a couple other fighters in the game today. A guy that you and I both feel can clean out 154 pounds relatively easy. Yeah, I think he'd have some tough fights. I think the other Charlo brother would give him a, uh, you know, a pretty tough fight. Right. I think uh, Demetrius Andrade give him a pretty tough fight. Yeah. Uh, Austin Trout would be a pretty competitive fight. But all in all, I don't think anybody wants it any more than he does. And I don't think that he's going to get the opportunity to because Al Heyman can make more money by having all of them operate individually as A-sides, where he can take a percentage off of all of them fighting bums. And he's got a belt he can throw. So anytime one of his 154 guys, 154-pound guys gets in the ring, he can toss it's a championship fight on it. And you ne- they'll never face each other. Nope. Because it, well, why? What's the point? It's, it's all win-win for Al. <laughs> it's a shame, man. It is. You know, it really, really is. Um, speaking of a shame, you know, we've – We've been harder on it than I don't think we've been actually. I, I take that back. We haven't actually given um, the PBC uh, any harder of a time than anybody else has. I no, mean, we've called it right down the middle with yeah, these mean, guys, right? I'm telling you what I see. I'm not making stuff up. I'm not. I'm, there's no agenda here. No, um, but it's getting worse, man. It's getting worse. The PBC schedule so far fights that are consummated that are scheduled and made for the remainder of the season is is horrible all of these fights should be on one card combined on showtime yeah they should yeah i'm sorry man uh kevin busier okay busier's headlining huh yeah kevin busier is headlining against frederick lawson okay now i know lawson is a is a prospect that, you know, I guess the people in the PBC are high on. But then Kevin Bizier versus Frederick Lawson, and on the undercard is Walter Castillo versus Keita Abara. That's your November 7th NBC Sports Network Saturday evening main event from the... That is abysmal. Mokosuke Resort and Gaming in Miami. And then on Tuesday, November 10th, um, Alejandro Gonzalez, who we saw get dominated by Carl Frampton, is now headlining the PBC. Well, he knocked down Carl Frampton, Ken. They're they're trying to ride that wave, man. (laughs) (laughs) Nobody remembers that, man. I know. And he's fighting against Kareem Guerfi. Excuse me, what? Yeah. Uh, 
Friday, November 13th. This one takes the cake. This one is the PBC on Spike TV. I bet you that Spike TV executive didn't know that he was getting Edwin Rodriguez versus Michael Seals. <laughs> I bet you he didn't know that. If, he, if he'd have known that, he probably would have paid Al hey, for Dan, the PBC. Dana Jacobson will hype it up, man. It'll be worth it. You'll tune in. Arizondi Lara versus Jan Zavik. Ooh. Ooh. Should be a Come good on. One. I thought Arizondi Lara was the best boxer on the planet. He's the most boring boxer on the planet. He's... The no risk taking. Uh, just skate the outside and pitter patter. Oh, can't can't wait for that. He ain't fighting nobody, man. Nobody gives a shit about this fight. Um, and then the other, the newly crowned Charlo brother, um, November twenty eighth against Camp Fort Camp Fart <laughs> from from the Bomb Factory in Dallas. Uh, Wilkie Camp Fart. Image coming soon, huh? Yep, image coming soon. So, uh, technically, we don't even know if the guy exists. We're, they're building the uh, robot in the... <laughs> <laughs> He's under construction. Um, and then Errol Spence will be on the undercard as he takes on Alejandro Barrera. What, the, what, what is going on? I told you. I've said it before. I, I, Where to, do they find these guys? To me, uh, I, I the fights have gotten worse, and there's a reason that they're getting worse, and that's because... These people have told Al Heyman that they do not need him. As soon as this contract is up, it's up. So we don't. It, I, the writing's on the wall. So he's like, "All right, that, if that's the case, here you're getting shit. I'm giving you shit now. I was giving you shit before, and now I'm giving you a big heaping pile of it for the rest of the two years. I'm not. I'm not going to shoot my wad with my good fighters until I take pack up my shit and head back to Showtime." Vince, that's a hell of a theory, my friend. I like that. I haven't thought about that. You know, I was I was asking myself. I was I was very curious why why Al Heyman was taking all of his good fights back to Showtime. Yeah. Now, of course, the condescending rat Stephen Espinoza will sit here and tell us that we're all that we're all morons. That was the plan all along. And, and yeah, exactly. It was the plan all along uh, that it would come around full circle. No, they've always been kept in the loop as the backup, the fall guy, the, eh, to be there to catch it when this thing completely falls apart. Right. He's been getting financial kickbacks the whole time, and, and you know he is. You seen that grin? Yeah, it's shit-eating grin. You seen that block of Sargento? <laughs> Just gnawing. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah, man. I mean, come on. It's, it's, yeah, I think that that is a great, great. So you honestly think that, that he is giving shit fights on purpose? I, I, I really do. I, I, I mean, they were bad fights to begin with, but this has gotten to the point where it is like, you can't be serious. You cannot be serious with Kevin Bizier as a headliner. Nobody in America knows this guy. No. What, he, he's known for his fight against who did he fight? Jojo Dan. Yeah, Jojo Dan. The guy. On the undercard of, what was it on the undercard of? Was it on the undercard of a? Was it a Brook fight? Yeah, I think it was a Kel Brook fight. Either way, it's just, what are you doing? What are you doing? This makes no sense. Honestly, who is going to watch this? Did you hear about the uh, the all leprechaun card, the one that we were making fun of? Remember? Oh yeah. Some of our friends from Ireland were sending me pictures of of uh, people dressed up as leprechauns. It was so funny, man. <laughs> after we said that about what happens when you get a black concert promoter who puts on a boxing event in Boston with a bunch of I- a white Irishman, he dresses them all up as leprechauns. That was funny as shit. Well, apparently, like uh, uh, the viewership for that show was two hundred thousand. Are you serious? Yeah. <laughs> to to a uh, free TV. Unbelievable, man. Danny O'Connor would not even headline an ESPN Friday night fight. 
Uh, yeah, I mean, these guys have no business being on television. If you are an investor into Waddell and Reed, and you listen to this show, listen. Get your money out as fast as you can and invest yeah. invest it somewhere else because you are getting robbed. Oh my God! You are, are you? getting robbed blind. This guy is laughing all the way to the bank. Because whether it's Bizier versus Lawson or whether it's Quillen versus Jacobs, Al's taking his 15% all the way to the bank. And guess what? He doesn't have to pull a single penny out of his pocket to put this trash on. Yeah, it's Al's playground, man. Yeah. Where in the world does this exist where somebody can triple and quadruple dip, take all this money on all these different levels for a total an utter, complete sham on somebody else's dime. I don't know, man. And it's, it's gotten to the point where I know we have, I mean, we've beaten it up. Yeah, but this deserves attention, Vince. Oh, oh, oh it does. It, it, I mean, it should. they should be called out on all levels. If you support the PBC and you support this trash, you've you got an agenda. You're trying to glom on to whatever, hey, maybe, maybe I can be a part of the PBC. Oh, dude, we're seeing it. Yeah, we're seeing it all over the place, man. I'm not going to mention, but there's people out there right now that are that are freaking pandering so bad. They're decorating their blogs with all kinds of PBC garbage. Yeah, they're 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 putting a PBC bow on a gigantic turd right. just so they can jump on the bus because they think that that is the direction that boxing's going. When it when in fact, if you're covering these fights with with a genuine uh, eye on them, you say to yourself that in no way, shape, or form does Kevin Busier. I'm sorry. A fighter that is a C level fighter. Oh at, yeah. At at very at the at the very, very best. Okay. A Canadian fighter that nobody in America has any idea who the hell this guy is. Why is this guy headlining an American fight card? It doesn't make any sense. That's why I have my conspiracy theory, man. I'm telling you, it's something is just at this point it's just gotten ridiculous. Yeah. It's it's Fucking joke, man. <laughs> In and out, breathe. <laughs> oh, man. You think that's what Al says to his investors? <laughs> he probably just does. Easy, easy. In and out. Just breathe. Just take it. Just wear it. <laughs> It'll be over soon. Who knows what the fuck that guy says? I know, man. He must be a just a wizard with words because everybody just fucking marches to his drum beat, boy. Yeah, got everybody, got everybody duped. Never in my life, that, and, and never did I ever think in a million years that this sport would go in this direction. Never in a million years did I ever think for one second that there would be a guy that boxing's most powerful, powerful broker and player would never even have the nerve to stand up at a podium and answer a question from the free media of the United States. Somebody that's so, so unbelievably and so just frivolously goes out there and tries to manipulate and propagate to the American sporting masses about this free boxing for all bullshit, yet doesn't have the nerve or the guts to stand up to a podium and answer questions from a Free media, yeah, he, it's indefensible, man. It's it's just indefensible. I, I, there's nobody else in the sport that gets away with what he gets away with, and in the history of the sport, and there has been all kinds of trash that goes on throughout the history of boxing with promoters and managers and 
all that goes with that. This guy takes the cake, my friend. If you were if you were pulling off a scam where you were pulling off just I mean, we're talking about a scam in the hundreds of millions of dollars. I mean, there's been guys that pull Ponzi schemes that are right out in broad daylight that are out there on party boats and yachts laughing their asses off. I think Al Heyman probably learned his lesson and figured, you know what, if I'm going to pull off this scheme, I need to have as low visibility as possible because, you know, otherwise you just draw attention to yourself. Right. And if I lose, oh, well, I made money the whole time. Yep. I was spending your money and I was making money on top of it. Yep. It's like Kaiser Sose, man. <laughs> the greatest trick the devil ever pulled was... What's that line from Usual Suspect? The greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing everybody it didn't exist. I just remember the uh, Benicio Del Toro line. Uh, oh, give me the keys, you fucking cocksucker. What the fuck? <laughs> Cock, <laughs> hey, cocksucker, motherfucker. <laughs> That's one of the funniest lines in movie history, man. Oh, give me the keys, cocksucker, motherfucker. <laughs> uh, it's such a good movie, man. All right. <laughs> Anyways. All right. So we went from Al Heyman to Benicio Del Toro. Hey, man. Hey, bring it back full circle. <laughs> okay. Um, Callum Smith, Rocky Fielding. This is Callum Smith's big step up fight here. Uh, Rocky Fielding is not, uh, some people consider him to be British level. I think he's a little bit better than that. Um, this is going to be a, a, a pretty good fight considering what's at stake here. I, I mean, the next fight, whoever wins this fight really takes that that step into saying, okay, I'm ready to fight for a title. Right. I'm ready to fight George Groves. I'm ready to fight the Gale. I'm ready. Yeah. Butte, whoever the, the winner of this fight is now made the final step to, I'm a serious, legitimate contender. You like Callum Smith in this one? I do. Yeah. I, I just think he's the smoother. He, Fielding's just kind of a rigid, like straight up, just hey, boxing, like by the book, you know, boxing 101 is Rocky Fielding. I think Callum Smith is just the, he's, he's better than that. And I think the body work of Callum Smith will be the difference. Yeah, I do fight. too. I think he's going to break him down. Yeah. Um, other super middleweight news, the winner of Arthur Abraham versus Martin Murray is mandated to fight Gilberto Ramirez. Um, I'll, I'll believe that when I see it. Because yeah. I don't think either one. Well, Martin Murray will probably do it. I don't think Abraham wants anything to do with Zerto. I really don't. What a physical mismatch that fight would be. It, it is. And it's just, it's almost not. I mean, look, you're fighting in that division. He makes the weight. So it, it is fair, but it doesn't seem fair. No. I, I don't know, man. Arthur Abraham's had a hell of a career to be able to box as long as he has and to be in as many big fights as he's been in. Oh, yeah. You know, I mean, yeah, as far as him being like, they're European level fights, but he's fighting the biggest fights that he can against the best European opponents. And some of the best fighters at 168 pounds just so happen to exist and operate in Europe. Yeah. I mean, he's a, he's a star in Germany. Yeah. Well, uh, we shall see uh, either way. Gilberto Ramirez um, is looking for his shot and he'll actually return to the ring uh, pretty soon as well. Guillermo Rigondeaux news and notes. And we'll let you go. Guillermo Rigondeaux has been stripped by the WBO. And the WBA has reduced Rigo to the champion in recess. Um, Was he playing kickball? Poor Rigo. <laughs> yeah, right. Shed a tear for him, please. Poor Rigo. There are people out there that genuinely feel bad for this guy. Uh, yeah, you know what? I, me and you both know. We, I'm not getting behind that. The guy sabotaged his own career as, as far as I'm concerned. Oh, absolutely, dude. Absolutely. The biggest mistake, he's made a ton of them, but the biggest mistake this guy did was not sign with Al Heyman because look at Arizlandi Lara. He is, Arizlandi Lara is just as boring to watch and just as negative and stubborn 
a personality. Yep. Right. Um, won't make any changes to what the way he goes about his business. Won't do anything. But he still gets fight fights, and he's still making money, even if he is irrelevant. Even if he is fighting Jan Zavix of the world and, and such, he's still getting fights. Right. You know, and Rigo is not. And if he was with somebody like Al, who so recklessly and frivolously just puts together, you know, horseshit fights where a top 10 fighter fights like the 340th ranked fighter that nobody's ever heard of, pulls these people out of the woodwork, at least Rigo would have a career. Now, the WBA, this makes perfect sense because they know that, like you said in the production meeting, well, they want to make... Scott Quigg, the full champion, so that's a unification fight right? And then, against Carl Frampton. And they're, they're dipping even deeper into the pockets of that fight. They're making yeah. more money. It just makes sense for them. It's a business move by the WBA. When, when I can't remember the, ever hearing champion in recess. I'm uh, sure it's happened because these, these, these bodies pull bullshit off all the time, but I can't remember it. Then if you send the WBA a check, they will make you the champion of podcasts. I'm, <laughs> Seriously. They'll, should, they'll give you a belt, too. Man, I, I'm, I'm going to give that a try. <laughs> the WBA will give anybody a title it's if you pay them. I know. Ugh. Trip by the WBO. Boo-hoo. Yeah. Boo-hoo. Get in the ring and fight. Stop crying about it. You're wasting your career away. Speaking of a guy who attempted to waste his career away, Andre Ward had a, a couple opponents denied. <laughs> yeah by uh, the commission, said no. So now he'll be fighting Alexander Brand. Why do they deny Ward, and, but Al Heyman can get away with these matchups? I, I, it's, it doesn't make any sense. No, it, you know, in, in people that have been, you know, very, uh, let's say probably more than unfair to Andre Ward were even coming to the defense saying, hold on, so they approve all these other bullshit mismatches, right? but Andre Ward doesn't get approved like what's going on with that it makes no sense man absolutely none. well but let's be honest a guy in andre ward who does no business with anybody he doesn't fight no you know what i mean nope. so why do any of these commissions or sanctioning bodies give a shit about andre ward when he's not doing anything for them he has to be fighting and and be active for them to make any benefit off of him oh, it's just the whole thing is just so sickening man so convoluted <laughs> uh so it's headed for the undercard of Cotto versus canelo i think that uh pretty much smears um, some really nasty shit all over the faces of those that want to try to concoct some make-believe argument about an Andre Ward Triple G fight. Just kind of like takes a big old dump in their ears, up their nose. Do people realize that there's no chance that fight's happening? The conversation is... Retarded. It is. It's retarded, and this kills it. Yeah. This absolutely kills Thank it. Thank God. Ward has reached a three-fight deal with HBO contingent on facing Sergey Kovalev in the third fight of that deal. I, I'm happy that we're going to get that fight. I mean, there's absolutely no guarantee till that fight actually comes off and they step in the ring. I think that is two of the most highly skilled boxers in boxing right now. That would be an unbelievable fight. Yeah. Yeah. Luis Ortiz, Bryant Jennings announced for December 19th, HBO Boxing Act After Dark. Nicholas Walters, the Axeman, squares off against Jason Sosa in the co-feature. King Gabe Rosado against Joshua Clotty. Um also on the card, and another fight announced on the card, which actually could turn into the action fight of the card. It's two guys uh, that have a pension for uh, just aggression, and Uneski Gonzalez and Bayatislav Shabransky. This should be a good one. Yeah, I've been I've been looking forward to the return of, of Uneski since his performance against uh, Pascal. 
Uh, that should be a really good fight. Yeah, you're you're right. That should be a good one for sure. Yeah, it'll be a good one, and I'm 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 glad that that fight's happening. I'm glad that uh, Gonzalez gets a fight against an exciting fighter. So it should right bode really well for him. I would rather see Uneski Gonzalez fight Kovalev on on January 31st than 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 see Kovalev fighting that rematch against Pascal. Yeah, I, that that matchup is such a waste to me. It really is. It would be one thing if Pascal looked really good against Gonzalez, but he looked like shit. Most people thought that he didn't even deserve to win the fight. So now what do we get? We get Kovalev versus Pascal. We've been very sort of gracious, and, 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 and we've taken the side of main events and Kathy Duva. And maybe it's just because of where they stand amongst the hierarchy of, of, of promoters in the game today. In modern boxing, we know the history of main events. You right. know what I mean? But where they stand today, the way that they've promoted Kovalev, um, you know, fighting him at the Mandalay Bay in the middle of the summer against a fighter that nobody's heard of in Najib Muhammad, um, building him in Atlantic City in a town where there are probably more bodies floating in the water than there are actually people in Atlantic City. Yeah. Um, I don't think they've done a very good job building Kovalev. No, they haven't. It's been very uh, just kind of lacking direction. And, yeah, if you're Kovalev as a fighter, you got to go at some point like, is main events really doing for doing good for my career? Or can why I go I, somewhere else? Yeah, wouldn't you, if you were Kovalev, wouldn't you be like, why am I not fighting Pascal at the Barclays Center? Right. Like, why am I not fighting Pascal at Madison Square Garden? Why am I not fighting Pascal at the StubHub Center? Well, I, and I almost think in Kovalev's case, he, he's really he's not ready to pack arenas like that. He's just not. Well, he could be if they would have promoted him properly. Yeah, you're right. But they've spent the last two or three years fighting in small venues or fighting in venues that are completely off the grid when they could have been having these fights in different places. Look, I understand that the Bernard Hopkins fight made sense in Atlantic City because B-Hop is a Philadelphia fighter. Right. I, I get that. But that fight could have been held at MSG, at Barclays, at the Forum, in either Los Angeles or in New York City, and they could have built that fight. They could have used that as a catapult, as a springboard. With Triple G, when he was on his rise, they still were fighting him in relevant venues. They were they were making concessions for him with the direct goal of building him into what he's become today. To me... There's no difference between Kovalev and Golovkin. No, no, not okay? at all. I think they're equal in ability, equal in talent, equal in excitement. I love watching both of them operate. You know, I just think that they have been promoted completely different. And I think main events, I think some of their bitterness, I think some of their sort of standoffishness when it comes to this whole talk with Adonis Stevenson and them going to, to Russia and they were supposed to have a fight there. They spent all that time there, and now they're not, they went over there for what? They didn't end up having a fight over there Nothing. because yeah. they couldn't find an opponent. So now they're pretty much left with this commodity in Sergey Kovalev with nobody to fight, so they're just going to retread something, and they're going to take it back. When If they, if they were able to see how this was going to progress, and I know you can't, uh, hindsight's 50-50, mm-hmm. right? Um but man, I bet you they have some regrets. They look back two or three years, and they're like, "Man, we could have com- we could have taken Kovalev 
in a completely different direction than we did. I, I think one of the big things that one of their mistakes when we look back on it will be, I think Kathy Duva in main events thought that the fact that he was he fought Bernard Hopkins and look, everybody knew he was going to win. I don't think anybody expected Hopkins to win that fight. But I think they kind of put too much into the fact of him beating Hopkins and that being the launching point. Like, oh, now he beat Bernard Hopkins. Now everybody knows who he is. Yep. Well, when in actuality, it was a formality, and we just wanted to see if the old guy could stand a chance against this this beast. And it just it played out exactly how most insiders thought it was going to play out, and it really did nothing for his career, absolutely nothing. No, because they didn't capitalize on it. No, they didn't. Yeah, well, I think that's pretty much, uh, you know, I mean, look, we've caught a lot of grief over the last year since the PBC has launched for, you know, everybody accuses us of of having this anti-PBC perspective. Um, and, you know, basically, like, we have an agenda that we want them to just collapse and burn and fail. Um, the reality of the situation is, is that what's going on with the PBC and their dismal and just horrendous scheduling, all of the things that have taken place within their, within their business structure, whatever that may be, um, the way that the fighters have not been developed, they're, the, the guys that we thought were going to become these big stars in some ways have, have actually regressed. Uh, you see guys like Danny Garcia and Keith Thurman and Sean Porter, Adrian Broner, uh, Peter Quellen. Like these guys' stars have diminished. Oh, without a doubt. You know, they're not what everybody thought that they were going to be. They're not what they thought they were going to be. They still act like they have arrived, that they are these mega superstars, which it's this double-edged uh, sword. It, 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 it actually isn't doing them all a disservice, right? So you have this entire PBC thing, that it is what it is. It's, it's a multifaceted, multi, multi-headed, multi-pronged sort of beast, amalgamation. This thing has just turned into a monster. Well, also, what's going on is you have Golden Boy is making desperate plays to try to put together the biggest fights that they can with what they have, they're risking people's development. They're speeding up the process, not only on fights and fighters, but also on business plans like launching Ring TV. You know what I mean? Like these things were supposed to be rolled out over time. Yeah. Al Heyman forced their hands all across the board in their business model. Top rank, fledgling. Right now, nobody knows what's going to happen. It has been in a, just a dismal year for top rank. Main events, <laughs> Main event says Sergey Kovalev, and we just talked about Sergey Kovalev. So the realities of the sport are the realities of the sport. We call it how it is, straight down the middle. Every single topic has its own ups and downs, bright sides. The fact is this, Vince, is that all of this BS minutia, where, where, where all of these organizations rise and they fall, the good guys, the bad guys, Wherever you stand, you can be biased or you cannot be biased. At the end of the day, wipe it all away because the only thing that really matters and the thing that we've tried to focus on on this show, the Tale of the Tape Boxing Podcast, is the fighters because the fighters 
are all that matters. Exactly. You can have these bullshit conversations about make-believe matchups and hypotheticals and pay-per-view numbers and, oh, he's rolling around in a bed full of money and he just bought a $4 million car and look at that guy over there. He's got a brain bleed. And all of the drama and all of the storylines, all this stuff is all complete noise because what's happening right now is that this this sport, you have Sergey Kovalev, you have Terrence Crawford, you have Gennady Golovkin, you have guys like Lomachenko and Felix Verdejo, guys in the United Kingdom that are rising, Kel Brook. I mean, there are so many good things about this sport, so many good fighters in this sport today that are just what really needs to be focused on. It really all needs to go back to the fighter, but it's not because people have made it about everything else. And that's where we stand right now. That's the the point of flux that we sit in right now, November 1st, 2015. The year has unfolded in a way that none of us could have ever anticipated. And now we sit here today with a million questions that still need to be answered. I think you're, I mean, you nailed it with that, buddy. And 2015 has been, from what we thought it was going to be at the start of the year and the possibilities for the sport of boxing and kind of a a renaissance rebirth year, they've, they've whiffed, dude. They whiffed big Every, time. Everybody has. They have. It's it's been a, and I think like you said, it's a, everybody else is is over uh, overstretching their bounds to try to keep up with this PBC. Uh, they can't do it. They can't. I, I, I don't know how much money these guys are. Ma- Did Top Rank make any money this year? Did the main events make? They couldn't have made that much money. That and Did, these are companies that operate on slim margins. Anyways, and you know the PBC didn't make any money. Yeah, they lost more money than everybody combined. Probably, it's man, it's a mess, dude. A friggin' mess. This is why it's so important to spend more time in these boxing forums, on these boxing podcasts. We need to spend more time realizing and appreciating what's going on around us, as far as these fighters are concerned. Because I talked about this a little bit on the last episode. I think so many boxing fans right now are completely missing the plot as to what is going on historically with some of these fighters. We have, regardless in the depth of talent pool in the sport, it may be worse than it's ever been. Okay? Quite possible. Especially with the the demise of the American uh, amateur boxing program. But what people are missing because of the negativity that surrounds even those that, that seem to be like, how could you ever question is we have some historical things going on fighters that can compete at any time in any era, you know, Golovkin and Kovalev. You got guys like Andre Ward that could have been a world champion, a top 10 fighter in the world at any time in human history. Yeah. Right. Careers being wasted. Careers being wasted. I mean, I think, generally speaking, there's such a small few of people that still are reading the right story. I think fighters, promoters are more lost than they've ever been. Yeah, I think you're exactly right, man. They don't know where to go. They don't know where the sport is heading. Everything is kind of in flux because of what Al Heyman has done. It's just, and everybody's scared. Like, they don't want to overstretch themselves. They... They're kind of just waiting to see where the cards fall, and they haven't all fallen yet, and they'll go from there. I, I don't know, man. It's a for what was man what we thought was going to be a hell of a year for the sport. It's it's in November at the end of 2015. It's pretty damn scary looking. It really is. Yeah, I mean, look, we got Cotto and Canelo coming up on the 21st, right? Um, 
we got Klitschko and Fury coming up. So there's a couple bright spots. I think this December 19th card with Ortiz and Jennings, I think it's going to be pretty good um, from top to bottom. But other than that, man, there's not much left remaining. No. And we're going to move into 2016, and I don't think we're going to have any of the questions that we asked at the beginning of the year. I don't think we're going to have any answers. No. I, I, I'm right with you, buddy. You, I think you nailed it with your rant there. I mean, it's that's where the sport is right now. Yeah. Well, well, my friend, I guess that will do it for episode 84. Is it 84? 84 of the Tale of the Tape Boxing Podcast. We move into episode 85. Um, and uh, onward and upward, my friend, we will keep on trucking. Hey, as much as we complain, we do. <laughs> we're, you, you may think we're sitting here and, and, and giving the sport of boxing shit. It's just we know how good it can be, and we want it to be there. And it's it's so apparent that it could be what we want it to be, but it just, for whatever reason, does not happen. No, no. Everybody's everybody's interest and and greed, and everybody's out for their own good. And right, you know what I mean. I mean, ah, it's a wild, wild west, my friend. It is. It is the wild, wild west. Well, that will do it, my friend, for episode eighty-four. Brandon Rios challenges Timothy Bradley this Saturday night, November 7th, HBO Championship Boxing for the WBO Welterweight Championship of the World. And we will be back next week with the post-fight edition, episode 85 of the Tale of the Tape Boxing Podcast here on theboxingrant.com. I'm your host, Kenny Keith. And you can follow me on Twitter at Kenny Keith Jr. For my co-host and partner in crime, Vince Cummings, who you can follow on Twitter at Vince Cummings81. We bid you good evening. Drop us a line, podcast at theboxingrant.com and rant with us. Be sure to subscribe to the show on iTunes today. Leave a review. It's much appreciated. So until next week, you've been listening to the Tale of the Tape Boxing Podcast here on theboxingrant.com. Muchas gracias, everybody.